Gator Nation, and welcome to, I think, what's easily the saddest episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. Um, as everyone undoubtedly knows by now, Florida has fired Dan Mullen as the head football coach after a loss to Missouri, and that's going to take up the overwhelming majority of the pod. It's not a decision I really think Florida wanted to make. I really did want Mullen to succeed. He was my first choice to replace Jim McElwain, but he ultimately left Florida with no other option. And and that's why it's sad because I think he could have been great. I think a lot of people think he could have been great. Um, and we'll get into all that shortly, but first things first, I am your host, Neil Shulman. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at all kinds weather. I'm with Dustin Smith as usual. You can follow him at I A K O W Dustin on Twitter. Uh, Casey Hampton will be joining us. Uh, as we have mentioned, he is extremely busy these days, um, both with work and personal stuff. And today's not an exception to that, but he is going to make a brief appearance to give his, his thoughts on the matter. Um, of course, we are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp. We will have at least one, if not two, campaigns going next year to do so with, as I mentioned, a new head football coach, but a new, that also brings about a new level of excitement, a new era, and we're going to get at least one, if not two people to their first ever games in the swamp to see this new wave of excitement for themselves. Um, we will, or we, we are currently accepting donations to help make that possible. If you go to GatorGoodFoundation.com, you can read more about what we have done in the past, um, our mission statement, and you can help donate there as well by clicking on the donate button at the top of the screen. Um, you can follow their social handles at the Gator Good on Twitter, at Gator Good Foundation on Instagram, and the Gator Good Foundation on Facebook. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingberry Branding. These folks have put a sting in your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients, whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design. Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, it is a veteran-owned business, especially with Veterans Day having just come and gone. Cannot possibly think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving the business. And two, it's run by a Florida Gator fan. So not only do they do great work, but they do great work and they're owned by a Florida Gator fan who also happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. With that said, Dustin, um, let's let's get right to it, man. Uh, let's go in chronological order of what's happened the last couple of days. And, and it starts with Missouri beating Florida 24-23 on Saturday night in overtime on a two-point conversion attempt. Um, obviously, that set up the development that followed uh, that's going to dominate this podcast, but let's quickly run through that game first. Um, quick takeaways from the game from you and your rapid fire final word on that game. Yeah, Neil, um, obviously to echo what you've already mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, this is obviously a, a sad time. Um, Dan Mullen is a coach that we both can agree 
is somebody that we wanted to do well at the University of Florida. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm going to speak for myself in this, and but I think I think you can be included in this thought. Um, our fandom was really accelerated uh, for the Florida Gators in in seeing what in part Dan Mullen did alongside Urban Meyer in those two national championships. Dan Mullen came off the uh, the private jet uh, on his first day as the head coach with an excitement and an exuberance that we haven't seen before since the Steve Spurrier days from the head coach. And what the attitude and the excitement that he brought to the Gator Nation, um, in his, especially in his first two years, was something that can make any Gator fan proud. But unfortunately, his, his tenure was a, really a tale of two coaches. And we'll get to that in, in, uh, in just a few minutes. Um, but I just want to headline my thoughts with that, with that comment right there. As far as the Missouri game, again, you know me. You know I'm a big picture guy. You know that I love storylines and I love drawing ideas and, and, and concepts and, and, uh, and stuff like that together. And it's funny that at the beginning of the season, um, it was really a one-sided debate, but there was great disagreement from my end on whether we would lose to Missouri. Um, I felt that this would be a team that would be finally equipped with the type of talent and ability uh, from, a, from an offensive standpoint, considering that Emory Jones was Dan Mullen's hand-picked quarterback, I, I expected this team to be successful. I was wrong, but I picked Florida to beat Missouri in, at the beginning of the season, and y'all picked them to lose. Now, fast forward to just before the game, uh, everybody uh, across the board on, on the, uh, in all kinds of weather uh, staff is concerned, we all picked Florida to lose to Missouri. One thing we didn't expect is we didn't expect the defense to show up. The reason why I had picked Florida to lose was because I had zero faith in the defense. And it was funny, it wasn't necessarily the defense that lost the game. Yeah. The def in a in a microcosm of an otherwise pretty good performance from the defense. The defense did give up that final play, which ultimately led to the demise of the team on Saturday evening, and that also led to the demise of Dan Mullen's career uh, as the head coach of the University of Florida. What was a big surprise to me was how poorly the offense did. I expected the offense to do pretty good. I expected the offense to score almost 30 points. I mean, they scored 23, including the overtime touchdown, but they did not do enough to win the game. And, you know, I mean, I could go into um, the, the fact that uh, I was hoping that Anthony Richardson could play. I know that there was uh, conflicting sources. I know Dan Mullen mentioned that he was hurt. Um, he was still dressed to play, so I would imagine that if 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 he if if Mullen really wanted him to play, uh, my speculation is that uh, Anthony Richardson could have played. But I'll, I'll leave that as speculation. At, at the end of the day, I, I just the the game plan, the the play calling, um, the uh, the the playing not to lose, the 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 lack of the lack of fight 
the lack of 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 gusto um for lack of a better term from from Dan Mullen in this game is is sort of Kentucky 2.0 if i could sum up the Missouri game i know i know Neil you're as speechless as i am concerning the game um I, like i said we we both expected florida to lose but it was the way they lost that was so gut-wrenching and disappointing the fact that florida uh made the score in overtime they were up by 7 and then immediately they let Kentucky and, and their game-breaking running back uh, come in for the, uh, the, the partially game-winning touchdown. The reason why I say that is because with the two-point conversion, they won the game. They, Florida gave up that, and it's because of that we see this Florida team lose. I would love to hear your thoughts, and then, and then um, I can go in and kind of give a, a grade for, for the different aspects of the game. But, Neil. Uh, that's it. That's all I got to say concerning um, my big picture breakdown of what I saw. Yeah. Um, uh, speechless is a good word. I mean, we're, we're recording this about uh, 90 minutes, maybe, maybe be about two hours since the news has become officially official. So it is still kind of fresh. I mean, we've Dustin and I have known that this was going to happen. I had, I had had a feeling that his career was going to end in Gainesville before Missouri ever kicked off um, just, just the way South Carolina played itself out um, the way the defense looked against Samford uh, and just his general attitude, but we'll no, I'll put that off for a little bit from now. Um, I'll do the final word from now real quick. I'm, I'm, I'm going to save my actual thoughts on Missouri until after we both done our final word, because it's a pretty good segue into the big picture stuff here. So final word offense gets, I want I want to give it like a like a single digit F grade um, because Missouri had such an atrocious rush defense and Florida couldn't even total a hundred yards on the ground against it. Um, we did know Florida's offensive line was bad, but I didn't think it was that bad. I'm going to give it like a like a twenty five or a thirty percent F because Emory Jones did do some nice things in the game. Um, he did make a couple of good throws again i'm not saying he was great by any means but i mean for that for that single digit f it's got to like for a a two or a three or seven out of a hundred it's got to be like all time bad it wasn't it wasn't quite that level so uh f f for the offense defense gets about a c plus to a b minus they did great for the first half and maybe two and a half quarters but then tyler Beatty kind of got going at the end and and the defense just got ripped through like a sieve in overtime and you would have would have liked to have seen them stand tall they, they played so well for so much of the game you would have liked to have seen them finish it strong um but definitely the passing grade they, they did absolutely play well enough to win the game so uh I'll, I'll give them just like a straight 80 uh the fringe between b minus and c plus Special teams, uh, I don't know what to make of special teams. I, there, there was the shank by Jeremy Crawshaw. Uh, there was a big return. There was a there was a punt that bounced off a Florida player's helmet that actually gained us 15 yards. I don't I don't know how to how to grade that. I mean that helped Florida. Clearly not what you're supposed to be doing, but it worked out very well for the Gators. I guess I'll give it a. D minus the kind of grade I gave last week to say what is what is the lowest possible grade you can get to pass. Uh, Chris Howard did hit three field goals. If if he misses one of them, Florida loses the game. So he gets that much 
credit, uh, especially after not looking so great earlier in the year. He missed the extra point against Alabama, which extra points are supposed to be automatic. So to see him come on the road and hit, calmly hit three field goals, definitely definitely a good sign for him and definitely earns the special teams some points there. So give them that that 59.5 D minus level grade. Coaching gets a zero, and it's a zero because – if nothing else, because of the, of the way the game ended. I mean, Dan Mullen did not prepare for this game. It's obvious he did not prepare for this game. The offensive game plan lacked any uh, lacked any sense of, of, of intuition as to what Missouri's defensive strengths and weaknesses were. It, it, it reeked of a man who did not prepare for the game. Uh, the, the defensive coaching actually I thought was, was fine. I guess, I guess I shouldn't call it a zero. An, an F nonetheless because there's there's no explanation for the last minute four seconds which much more on that momentarily but dustin uh oh and, and um the final grade i'll give I'll give it a give it about a 40 i mean defense was the reason it wasn't a sub 10 grade it was the defense's reason it wasn't a single digit grade i mean this is this is not a good missouri football team it's it's not a good team they're they're six and five against a schedule that includes clearly the weaker of the two divisions they have you know they didn't have to play alabama from the west they didn't have to play arkansas yet they will play the next week they didn't have to play either of the mississippi schools from the west so six and five. Oh, and by the way uh three cupcakes in there and their their big marquee non-conference game was boston college who they also lost to by the way so clearly not a good football team florida had the talent to blow them out they did not do that, so they get about about a forty percent for me. Oh, and I, oh wait, I forgot to give my play of the game and player of the game too. So, player of the game is going to be a little harder to do than I would have thought. Um, I I will say Tyler Beatty. I'll I'll also give it to Missouri's offensive line because they dug deep and they started finally creating some holes. Florida's defense was all over. Was, was, was all over the rush in the first half. So they they finally got together and they started creating some gaps for him to run through. So they get credit for that. Beatty did not have his signature 200-yard game against Florida, but he did obviously do enough towards the end of the game to win it for them, including the two back-to-back runs in overtime uh, to, to get it, set up the winning two-point conversion. And the play of the game – it's got to be the two-point conversion. I get. I guess you could, in theory, point to the. I mean, any of the the conservative play calls that Mullen deployed at the end, which again, will that's that's going to merit its entirely own monologue later. But uh, I mean, the two-point conversion has to be it for me. So, Dustin, how about you? Yeah, Neil. So, for my play of the game. I know you went with the two point conversion. I'm going to go with the 12 yard first down run by Beatty to, um, to get the ball really, really within 13 yards of the goal line. Um, on the very next play after that, uh, um, Missouri would score the, their touchdown in overtime. And like I said before, this would essentially be the game winning touchdown because on the tail end of that touchdown was, the two-point conversion, and because of this, um, you know, Florida not only lost the game, but Dan Munn lost his job, as we'll we'll discuss in a, in a brief minute. 
Um, for my player of the game, I'm going to go again. Uh, I'm going to mention him again, um, Beatty. I, uh, I, I fully expected him to have a, a game-breaking uh, performance. Um, I did not expect it to come uh, at the end like this. Um, Florida did pretty good in terms of run defense um, at the beginning of the game especially. In fact, uh, I was very impressed to see the defense um, stuff Beatty on a counter to start the game of all plays. So we go from that to a team that once again cannot finish. Um, Neil, you're the... Uh, for lack of a better term, you're the savant when it comes to knowing all the stats, but I believe this is uh, seven straight uh, one-possession game losses for Dan Mullen. Um, and uh, that context will, will play a big part of our discussion, like I said, in just a minute. Um, speaking of which, let me get to my grades. So for offense, offense was pretty terrible. Uh, I'm going to give them a D-. The only reason why I'm not giving them an F is because um, Emory Jones didn't throw a pick. Uh, I thought that he he managed the game decently. Uh, there just wasn't enough big plays around him. And the big reason why I, uh, without the knowledge of the, the, the possible injury that um, Anthony Richardson had uh, coming into the game, um, I wanted Anthony Richardson to come in because I felt that Anthony Richardson would be a spark. And Emory Jones did not play awful. He, he did not have uh, the, the terrible performance that he had against um, Kentucky. Uh, you know, there, there's several games that I could go down the list. He didn't have a terrible performance. He just had a performance that wasn't good enough to spark this team to victory. Um, but it was, it was really a total team off. A loss from a def from an offensive standpoint defense i'm going to give them a c um 16 points in regulation is the the type of uh score that i would i would expect florida even at the beginning of the year that's the kind of score i would expect florida to give up to a missouri team of this caliber um so the defense did not do anything that even in my highest expectation for them at the, at the beginning of the season, um, I expected them to have this type of performance. So I'm going to give them a C. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give them anything lower than that. They, they, they played pretty well. In fact, if Florida had won this game um, and they had, a, they had a better performance in that overtime, the defense may be getting a B or a B plus. Um, it's just those, those, those last Three plays in overtime really, really cost this defense and ultimately cost the team the victory. Special teams, C minus. I mean that that punt, uh, man. What a the, the guy goes from 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 shanking a a twelve yard punt, and then I believe I believe his long for the for the day was uh, sixty five yards. So um, what a what an inconsistency right there. Um, we did make some field goals, which was good. Uh, but overall, the special teams has not been uh, it has not been on the winning side of things this year. And uh, I think C minus is fair for special teams coaching. Um, I have to give it an F minus. Um, again, a, a statement that that Neil, you and I have said, um, you know, over and over again when, when we give these types of segments. Uh, this isn't just the kind of F where you know you almost got a D, but 
you just got one or two more questions wrong and hopefully better luck next time. This is the kind of F that you get that on your, on your, uh, your transcript and you should probably change your major. And for Dan Mullen, it's probably going to mean that he's not going to be a head coach for at least a couple years. He's probably going to be an offensive coordinator somewhere. And it's because uh, the, the game plan, the game management, the in-game decisions. I mean, Neil, I, I mean, I'm befuddled. We'll, we'll talk about it. We could, we could, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm lost for words. Dan Mullen was a guy that we fully expected to make incredible decisions in-game. But this was just out of character of him, especially coming into the season. Um, for, for the overall grade, though, I'm going to give the Gators a 52%. So uh, a little bit above uh, half of the grade, but not good enough. 52 is still an F, and it is what it is, Neil. Um, the, again, like it's you said, this is a tough Fs. one. It's, it's one too many Fs for this team yep. this year. That's that's what it is. Um, all right. So I said I'm I'm saving my my Missouri takeaway for after the we we both do the final word because it I think encompasses the bigger problem that Dan Mullen eventually uh, succumbed to at Florida. The undercard. Let's start with the second most glaring thing. Um, I understand Florida's offensive line is bad. Like it's really really bad, especially when Ethan White is not fully healthy. I, I I totally get that, but there's something that's really really bad for Florida standards, and then there's being the second worst at something in the entire FBS of 130 schools. Florida International is in the FBS. Texas State, North Texas, Eastern Michigan, Kent State, UNLV. Those are teams that also occupy the FBS. Missouri's defense against the run was worse than all of them. The second worst rush defense in all of the FBS. And yes, they play in the SEC, but no Alabama on their schedule, no lane train of Mississippi, no, you know, Arkansas, they haven't played yet. So didn't get, you know, LSU, not a great team, but Tyron Davis price can definitely rack up some yards as we learned, especially if Brandon is your DC, but anyway, uh, did not get the brunt of the SEC with their schedule this year. Three cupcakes in there in their first 10 games. Uh, and, and their big marquee non-conference game, like I said, again, was Boston College. So definitely not in a, a meat grinder of a schedule that they had in front of them. And they still have the second worst rush defense in the FBS. Florida runs the ball 38 times for 93 yards. And Emory Jones was responsible for half those numbers. That's just not acceptable. That's not acceptable. That in itself gets a zero grade. That is so, so, so bad to have that. that and, and the tape backs it up. There is nowhere for Damian Pierce to go. I mean, nowhere for Naquan Wright or Malik Davis to go. Damian Pierce carries the ball seven times, averages one yard a carry. It's not because Damian Pierce just forgot how to run. I mean, we, we saw him we saw him bull his way into the end zone with some real you know, anger in those legs, kept the legs going, just bulled his way in. There's nowhere for them to run. That is just unfathomably incompetent of our offensive line. Second, and more importantly, because that's, that's the undercard here, 
and like I said, you know, we're, we're putting off the Mullen firing for a little bit. We had to talk about Missouri first, but this main takeaway about the Missouri game will lead very nicely into it. So let's do it. Let's just say it. Dan Mullen had zero interest in winning that game. I, I don't know that I would ever outright say that about a head football coach. Florida's head football coach on November 20th of 2021 at the University of Missouri did not have any interest in winning the game. He can say whatever he wants in the post-game press conference or in you know nicely crafted uh, statement graphics on social media, but actions speak louder than words. And his actions on Saturday night proved beyond a reasonable doubt he did not have any interest in winning the game. Forget everything that happened in the first 58 minutes and 56 seconds, which in, in its own did not look good. By It, it did not look like he had prepared for the game he, because he did not. But let's throw that out for, for now. For the first time in your career, you finally have your hand-picked QB in Emory Jones, you know, the guy that you flipped from Ohio state Franks and Trask leftovers, not your guy. You were, they were inherited. This is the first time you have your guy. Missouri has an automatic kicker in Harrison Nevis who gave you the ultimate gift of missing a potential game winning field goal. The, the, the guy comes on to try that kick He's 17 for 18 on the year, three of three on the day, and he misses. It, it just it doesn't happen, but it does here. That gives you an unexpected lifeline back into the game. Realistic range for a game-winning kick from Chris Howard, uh, according to some of the players I'm still friendly with, he can reliably hit from 52, 53-ish or so. Any more than that, I mean, you put him back at like 58 or 59 or so, the kicks come out low. I mean, he he can, I think, from hit from 60 if there's no rush, but I think he'll get a little bit nervous uh, or he'll, you know, he won't hit it exactly right. So the kick will probably come out low there and it might get blocked. And we saw that against Kentucky. So, I mean, granted, that was Jace Christman, not Howard, but he has that same problem. People tell me. So anyway, people at UF who watch him at practice tell me his, his long realistic game winning range is about 52. That's a long kick. That's not a sure thing by any means, but that's about his maximum distance. So that's the beginning of the range you need to get to. So you have the ball on your own 30, you need 35 yards to get into range to have a shot to win this game. That, by the way, you need to keep your job. Now, you don't have timeouts, but 104 to get 35 yards is an eternity in college football. The clock stops on first downs. The clock stops when you step out of bounds. The clock stops on incomplete passes. You can force an incomplete pass yourself by clocking the ball, by grounding it, by spiking it. You have all these ways to stop the clock. Even without timeouts, a minute and four to get 35 yards is plenty of time. And you practice this all the time. Dustin, you played football. I played football. I mean, back in high school, you do two-minute drills all the time in practice. You do it almost every single practice. And instead, Mullen elects to play for overtime. Hand-picked QB five-star wide receiver in Justin Shorter. 
high four-star, almost five-star wide receivers in Xavier Henderson and Jacob Copeland. Three, count them, three talented pass-catching running backs in Malik Davis, Damian Pierce, and Naquan Wright. A great tight end in Kimori Gamble. Yeah, the offensive line is objectively terrible, but the whole point of the two-minute drill is to spread the field with four or five wide receivers running short or intermediate routes because the odds that one of them will get open on a given play are very, very high. And particularly if you're running multiple plays like you do to get 35 yards, you don't get it all in one play. You sort of dink and dunk your way up the field the way Florida did do last year against LSU after uh, K York hit that field goal. Florida got back into range for McPherson in 20 seconds. You have all these guys running across the field. The odds are one of them will get open on at least one out of every two or three plays. What does Florida do? Let me just sit on the ball. Yes, I, I know Emory Jones does not go through his progressions particularly well, but maybe that one receiver he happens to be staring down first, maybe the guy that he decides is his primary target that he's going to stare down is the one receiver, or if maybe there are two or three, maybe that guy will happen to be the one that gets open. Or maybe he bails and he takes off running against that second worst rush defense in the entire FBS and gets a first down to stop the clock. It is not at all unfathomable that Florida can get 35, 40 yards or so in a minute and four seconds. It is actually something that for all the struggles Florida had, I would have bet on them to do. This is the guy at QB, again, that Dan Mullen wanted. AR-15 was hurt, so we believe. Um, I'm not going to go out and say you should have played AR-15 over an injured Emory Jones. I, I don't know that for a fact, so I'm not going to go there. But the bottom line is this is the guy that Mullen wanted above all others. He is verifiably not a fan of of recruiting so when he does put the effort in to go out and flip a guy away from ryan day and urban meyer at ohio state you have to think that he really really wants him and with that chosen qb he just plays for overtime that is not the action that somebody takes who wants to win a football game especially when they know they have to, to continue to remain employed by that school or franchise. This particular action of Dan Mullen is simply not something that is done by a coach who has any desire to win the football game. And now I'm going to throw it back to the Kentucky postgame pod. Dustin, uh, you remember what I said at the end of that game? Or not at the end of the game, but you remember what I said in that podcast about Mullen at the end of the first half? Coach scared? No. Here we go. This is what I said about the end of the first half against Kentucky. And as a result, he is trying to screw the program over. And so he does that on purpose. Now, again, I don't actually believe that. But let me just ask you something, Dustin. If that were the case, if that were the reality, okay, if, again, I'll say it a million times, I don't actually believe that. But if that were the case, how would last night's game have gone any differently? How would his coaching decisions have looked any different? What would be different if he were attempting 
to screw the program over, what would he have done differently than what he did last night? Wow, Neil. So now we're entertaining conspiracies on the podcast. So I still don't think he was actually attempting to throw the game. I, I really am not a fan of conspiracies, and I don't think that it's a legitimate conspiracy here where he was going out of his way to try to lose the game. But now that soundbite kind of hits different because now he's done it again, meaning it wasn't a mistake the first time he did it. It wasn't, a mis- it wasn't an error the first time he sat on the ball needing 30, 35, 40-ish yards to get into field goal range at the end of a half or game. It wasn't something where he would admit he messed up and learn from it. He meant to do that. He went into that Kentucky game fully intending to not trust his hand-picked guy in a two-minute drill in a close game because now he's done it twice. Only this time, he did it at the end of the game, not the first half. He did it at the end of the game. And by the way, a game that he knew he had to win in order to keep his job. That casual, conservative attitude that he's taken in these situations this season is calculated. He's doing it on purpose. Either he doesn't trust Emory Jones to lead his team in a a two-minute drill. Again, by the way, that is his hand-picked guy, which is a problem in its own right. Or he fundamentally does not care. And at some point, it doesn't really matter because neither of those two possibilities lead me to believe that Florida has the best coach it can possibly have. And listen, if, if Jones throws a pick six, if he doesn't see pressure, he gets strip sacked and it's turned for a touchdown or Mizzou kicks the winning field goal. If the kick comes out low again and gets blocked and returned for a touchdown, which by the way is extremely Three. unlikely. If any of that happens, then Okay. A man who clearly understood that he needed to win the game went down swinging. Playing for overtime in that situation, I, I, I'm, I'm the guy that likes analogies. I can't even come up with an adequate one here. Okay, it's, it's like <laughs> – this is ridiculous, but it, it's like getting lost in a safari, walking into a den of, of lions or I, no, we played the tigers, right? So I guess the tigers. So it's like walking, it's like getting lost in a safari and getting yourself or finding yourself walking into a den of tigers and just saying, well, okay, if they're hungry, they'll eat me. If they're not, I guess I'll live. Whatever happens, happens. So right now I'm just going to lie down and take a nap and see what they do. Now, I don't know about you, Dustin, but if I find myself walking into a den of tigers by accident, I happen to value my life. So I'm going to try to get out of there. I'm not going to tempt fate by just chilling out in their lair. I'm going to get the fuck out of there by whatever means possible. If I can walk away before they notice me, cool, easy, done. If I have to start throwing rocks at them or take out a weapon, if I have one and kill them all one by one, I'll do that. I don't care how it has to be done. I'm going to do what needs to be done to survive, whatever that may entail, or I'm going to die trying. Dan Mullen clearly does not feel the same way. He did not feel that same way, past tense now. Um, His interest level in this program clearly was not there towards the end, and that is why he needed to be fired. And that's where we stand, because he is now gone. Yeah, Neil, and I just want to say this. 
as as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Dan Mullen is a coach that that I really admired. Um, everybody that that that's listened to this for a while knows how much I love um, the offensive game, uh, not just uh, big picture wise what what players are doing what, but schematically um, how the how the plays are are developed, um, you know, misdirection, uh, just the formation, ideas, concepts, schemes. I love it. And Dan Mullen, from a schematic standpoint, when he's coaching, um, at his best, his schemes are better than uh, almost anybody in the country. I mean, I mean, I go back to the 2019 Auburn game when Florida had put four receivers on uh, the left side of the field, if I remember correctly, and then uh, Michael P. Ryan ran to the right side, and the play was designed perfectly based on the type of defense that Auburn was running, and it sprung P. Ryan for that glorious, um, I think, 88-yard touchdown. What a what a what a scheme and and that 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 I, the reason why I bring up that play is because that play is a microcosm of of how brilliant Dan Mullen has been in terms of um of designing plays and, and calling plays. In fact, uh, uh, toward the as either in in overtime um, or toward the end of the game, uh, we 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 went, even went back to the shovel pass with uh, Kamori Gamble. Um, beautiful play. I mean, I could go on and on about my appreciation, my my excitement for um, the 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 innovation that Dan Mullen has done from a scheme standpoint as the head coach at the University of Florida. I mean, the spread offense as we know it today was in large part developed um, by Dan Mullen. I know that there is this offshoot that that kind of came from from Chip Kelly. Um, but no, no football historian who studies the origin of the spread offense could mention um, the type of scheme that was developed uh, in the early 2000s by by Dan Mullen at Bowling Green and then at Utah. Um, you can't you can't mention the spread offense with, without mentioning that. And the fact that we had Dan Mullen, the offensive coordinator, that won more national championships than any other offensive coordinator in the history of the University of Florida. I mean, you even go back to Steve Spurrier, arguably the greatest coach to ever coach um, at the University of Florida. Actually, there's no argument to that. He was the greatest coach to coach at the University of Florida. Yeah, Urban. Um, Urban's, Urban's got two natties, dude. Urban. That's really hard to argue. Well, then I'll leave it as arguable because um, what, what Spurrier was able to do uh, – what he was able to to bring the the Gators from um, in the early '90s, and then and then lead the Gators to, uh, you know, I mean, Florida of course wasn't winning as many national championships, but it, it was pretty much a dynasty. Um, he definitely did of, it for longer. He was definitely he was definitely upholding the Gator standard for a longer period of time than Urban Meyer. So there's definitely an argument for his career. Sure. Yeah, there, there's an argument. So, anyway, back to my point. Um, what Mullen was able to do as the offensive coordinator, uh, what is something that that 
that it's going to be very hard for a future offensive coordinator at the University of Florida to to mirror that or, or match that. Um, what he was able to do with Tim Tebow, uh, what he was able to do with Percy Harvin, what he was able to do with all this top talent. I mean, going on to Mississippi State, what he did with with Dak Prescott, what he was able to do with Kadaris Tony. I mean, before before Dan Mullen had come to the University of Florida, Kadaris Tony was essentially a quarterback who had a, a big arm, but just wasn't making the cut at that position and had to find a new position. Not only did did Mullen help Kaderis Tony establish that new position, but alongside Billy Gonzalez, he helped Kaderis Tony become a first round draft pick. I mean, think about Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts came on. Yeah, he was a high four star, but nobody and nobody studying that recruiting class thought that Kyle Pitts would be arguably one of the greatest college football tight ends, especially in this modern area era of what the, the tight end looks like. It's no longer about being the the big burly blocker H back type tight end that, that we that we saw in the in the nineties and early two thousands. Um I, I would say Pitts is right up there with, with some of the best in in college football history. And that was done in part because of what Dan Mullen was able to do from a schematic standpoint and and how he was able to develop him. Um, unfortunately, and again we're going to, we're going to beat this. Um, we're essentially beating a dead horse. We've said it a lot and we're going to continue to say it. He, Dan Mullen, especially in this 2021 season, he has failed to put a complete game together. It's, it's amazing to think that in games where the defense, uh, does fantastic, the offense can't do a thing. And when the offense does fantastic, I mean, the, the, the perfect the perfect example would be the Samford game. I mean, even I mean, Florida did great offensively, albeit against an FCS team, and then the, the, the defense didn't show up. I mean, you you look at the uh, the Kentucky game. Florida's defense did arguably good enough to win the game, but Florida's offense didn't do enough to win. Look at LSU. I mean, 42 points should be enough to beat LSU. Unfortunately, when the offense is giving up 49, you're not going to beat LSU again and again and again. And to add to that, um, Neil, you know how passionate I am about recruiting. So the final point I'm going to make in terms of uh, describing and ascribing Dan Mullen's tenure at the University of Florida is discussing the recruiting woes. Unfortunately, Dan Mullen has not made recruiting a priority. And let me just say this. It is, it is very difficult to be both an offensive coordinator and a head coach in the SEC. A person only has so much time that they can allot to their, their job. And not only is Dan Mullen responsible for the entirety of the program, but he also has held tightly the reins in terms of the offense. Not only does he call the plays, but he develops the game plan. He, he, uh, he's very, very instrumental in every single aspect of what goes on um, with the offense. And he's also intricately involved with the defense and, and all of the people management stuff that goes along with being the head coach of the University of Florida. Unfortunately, Dan Mullen um, 
while Dan Mullen was an excellent uh, X's and O's coach in his prime, unfortunately, he was not good at managing the people around him. He allowed his buddies to continue to put subpar effort in terms of uh, coaching. And, and as to the discussion, the point I'm talking about right now, recruiting. And Dan Mullen did not make recruiting a priority. Would, would, would I go as far as saying that he did not uh, enjoy recruiting or he did not, uh, he did not recruit at all? I know, I know there was comments that were taken out of proportion concerning, oh, this is recruiting. This is the, the in season. We'll worry about recruiting when it's recruiting season. That's a, that's a bunch of baloney. You know, you know, the coaching staff and Dan Mullen are, are doing whatever they can to recruit in the season. I mean, it's, it's a never ending business. Unfortunately, the the uh, the results and the 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 optics of that statement um, it's awful. I mean, it's funny that that statement. No, uh, it's not funny. No, 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 no. Nothing about that is funny, Dustin. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's nothing about that that's amusing whatsoever. I, I, oh, I'm not saying it's funny in that regard, Neil. I'm 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 using funny in a different way. So the last thing that I'll mention, Neil, in terms of recruiting, is. We've talked about it before, um, this show cause related to uh, something that happened when, um, when Dan Mullen was recruiting a linebacker out of the state of Washington. And because of this show cause, Dan Mullen was not able to um, step into living rooms and, and uh, recruit. And unfortunately, because of this, it's really hurt his ability to make those one-on-one connections with players and their families. And... I think that this is just a microcosm of the recruiting woes that Dan Mullen had at the University of Florida. And uh, I have a few other thoughts, but I'll, I'll, leave, I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and rest my case for now, and um, let's, uh, let's hear from Casey. Yeah, you made a, you made a, good, uh, made a good case there. Um, yeah, so Casey. Casey is actually, uh, like I said at the top of the show, he is extremely, extremely busy with both work and personal obligations, but uh, you know that's why he hasn't been a part of the pod as many times as he would have liked to have been and as he was last year, but he has made time to step in for today and at least uh, sound off on, on the on the you know the obvious issue at hand here. So Casey, um, floor is yours, man. Yeah, hey guys, sorry. Uh, like I said, I took a new job um, in August. It has sucked up pretty much any time that I've had. So uh, don't mean that I uh, don't miss uh, Neil and Dustin um, and being on here so much. But uh, it's been it's been a crazy few weeks. I'm really happy in my new job, but it's uh, it's definitely not allowed me as much free time as my old job. So um, y- you know, watching the game last night, I think it was clear to everybody that Dan Mullins body language was not what we needed to see and what we needed it to be. Clearly the defense showed up last night, which is great to see, but Emory Jones clearly again, demonstrated he's not the guy. Dan Mullen clearly demonstrated his stubbornness in trying to make a round peg fit in a square hole uh, because Emory Jones either does not fit this offense or what we're trying to do. Um, You know, the defense last night, I think earned an A plus. Um, they played extremely tough. Uh, I just think they ran out of gas uh, in the last um, in the last series that Mizzou had, and very reminiscent to a Will Muschamp game. It was the defense was incredibly stout throughout the game, but eventually you cannot ask these guys to get out there 
and get five-star effort when they only have four stars left in the tank. And that's what happened last night. So, you know, I, I again, defense gets an A+. Plus. Uh, I think special teams gets a B, uh, and they only get a B because of that punt, that first punt that Jeremy Crawshaw had. I mean, you know, what was that, 23 yards? Um, that first punt that it was he had. was 14 yards. Game. 14 yards out of the end zone. Might have been the single worst punt I've ever seen at the University of Florida. Yep, 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 yep. yep. Uh, I mean, his mind was good after that, but it wasn't that good. Um, you know, kick returning, again, is an issue. Um, I, 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 it, it, it was just frustrating. In the offense, I would give a C-. minus. I, I just, I, there was, you know, Damian Pierce had great runs, uh, when he was given the ball. Damian Pierce uh, ran oh, seven times for exactly seven yards. It, again, seven times for seven yards, but you give the man the ball, it's gonna, it's going to work eventually. Um, he's clearly our best running back. Malik Davis had a good night. Um, but again, I think Damian Pierce is, you have to feed that man because he had a touchdown. You have to feed that man. Um, Jacob, Copeland, Jacob Copeland had arguably probably his best game as a Gator, in my opinion, last night. Um, but overall, I mean, it just was a listless offensive effort. It was a listless co- coaching effort. Uh, and when Dan went for it to go to overtime, that, that I looked at my friend Marcus that I was there last night. And I said, this is reminiscent of South Carolina 2014, which was the game that Will Muschamp got fired after that we decided to play conservatively to go to overtime instead of trying to win the game, which we could have. And credit to Dumbat Drinkwitz up in Columbia. Uh, he went for the win, and Dan Mullen didn't. So that's – and it's sad. Um, you know, as I changed topics to Dan Mullen, it was, it's sad because I was happy to see Will Muschamp go. I was happy to see Jim McElwain go. I was happy to see Ron Zucco. Um, granted, it was I was young and didn't know much better back then, but particularly with Muschamp and McElwain, I was happy to see them go uh, and had no reservations about it at all. I think anybody that bleeds orange and blue can just look at Dan Mullen and say, we wanted it to be better. We thought he was the guy. Um, and I certainly was a part of that. Um Dan Mullen was the guy. Dan Mullen was supposed to be the guy that brought us back. And Dan Mullen made it fun for two and a half years. I mean, man, that Auburn 2018 game, I <laughs> or 2019 game, excuse me, I can't recall a better time, a louder time, and as euphoric of a postgame as that Auburn game in 2019. Um, you know, I thought we had turned the corner. Dan Mullen looked to be in his groove. Uh, it was it was an incredible experience to be there. The swamp was rocking that day, um, especially when Michael P. Ryan ran up the sidelines for the touchdown. Uh, we beat a top ten team for the first time, and I think since twenty fifteen when we beat Ole Miss. No, we did it the year before when we beat LSU. But that's another example. He made it fun that True. day too. Yeah, that game was a hell, hell of a lot of fun too. But the euphoric highs that we didn't have necessarily under Jim McElwain and Will Muschamp were matched with these quizzical, head-scratching, what-in-the-hell losses. Um, 
you know, the first loss I think it's going to come to my head and everybody else's is LSU last year, which I think when that shoe flew, there was so much in the air with that shoe that night, not just Florida's playoff hopes, not just Florida's relevancy, but looking back on it, that was Dan Mullen's coaching regime. It just went in the air and it landed without a whimper somewhere down the field in the fog. Okay, well, Casey, you, you can say that, but then Florida, I mean, even even with that loss, they only dropped one spot in the CFP rankings. They took Alabama, you know, down to the wire. If Florida beats Alabama in that SEC championship game, they're probably going to the playoff. A loss is a loss. It is. It is. Of this moral, and you know what? I was guilty of it this year, particularly when we took Alabama to the wire. I'm like, you know what? God, we are right there. But a loss is a loss is a loss. But that's not my point, Casey. My point is that he somehow rebounded to have his team ready to play next week. They could have been devastated. Why didn't he play against LSU? What? Kyle Pitts played against Alabama. Why in the hell was he out there versus LSU? These questions of it's these questions of damn, what in the hell is going through your mind? And why did Todd Grantham stay after last year? Why did he start Felipe Franks over Kyle Trask? Why did he keep Todd Grantham after the awful year that happened last year? Why didn't he adjust the play calling that involved Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson? I think back. I was at the USF game this year. You think about that beautiful pass that Anthony Richardson had that led the Gators down the field against USF, then he puts Emory Jones in and the offense sputters and then fumbles the ball. It, 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 Dan Mullen, as much as I wanted Dan Mullen to be the guy, and as sad as I am, Dan Mullen did this to himself. Totally. There's nobody else to blame other than Dan Mullen. 100%. He, his stubbornness, his ego, his need to be right and his his moral superiority I, I i don't even know if i want to call it moral his his need to be superior in intellect to everybody around him to what was obvious and i think that's what hurts the most because dan could have been the guy had he just fired todd Grantham after that last year had he said gee i'm not going to go for seniority over talent i'm going to go for talent over seniority the fact that you had a Heisman candidate who was invited, albeit virtually, to New York to the Heisman ceremonies, riding your bench behind Felipe Franks for a year and a half, and it took Felipe Franks being injured to put Kyle Trask in there. It's all these small little data points. It's the data points of how in the hell did we lose to LSU two years in a row, both as double-digit favorites? How did we lose to Georgia in 2019? How did we lose to Missouri in 2018 that wasn't even close in Missouri last night? Well, last night was different. Um, how about South Carolina this year? It's it's these data points. Okay, we can say this one was different, this one wasn't, but Florida should have won the game last night. Florida was in every position to win the game last night. Florida, at, at some points, was positioned to win that game by 10 points or more. So it's these data points of, okay, if you just start adding all of this stuff together and, you know, the attitude that, again, I alluded to that I am guilty of as much as anybody else, 
we should not take pride in losses because we we fought the good fight. We were almost there. No, we lost the game. We lost to Alabama. We have not beaten Alabama since 2008. We have not beaten LSU since 2018. We slogged through against the last three games against Tennessee. I mean, look, yes, we beat Tennessee, albeit comfortably, but we slogged through this year. I would argue the same for last year. Uh, 2019, yeah, we beat Tennessee, but again, it was kind of, mm. and 2018, 2018 was the only convincing Tennessee win um, of Dan Mullen's era. And I'm not convinced that tomorrow or that next week we would have beaten Dan, we would have beaten Florida State with Dan Mullen as head coach. We would not have, I guarantee it, we would not have. So, more on that later. <laughs> Preview. Yeah, I, it's, it's it's so sad because Dan Mullen should have been, could have been, and would have been the guy. If he just did these things, yeah. If, if he just made small fixes, right? And, you know, my friend Marcus and I were having a conversation today about, you know, well, if I was your defensive coordinator, would you fire me? And I looked at him and I said, if it meant saving the Florida football program, absolutely. You'd be out on your ass. And he just gave me this blank look. And I said, I don't know what you're giving me a blank look for. If I'm hired to do a job, I'm going to do the job and I'm going to do it right. And I'm going to be committed to the job. And look, when it comes down to it, the University of Florida job is not meant for everybody. It's just not. It's it's a pressure cooker. It is, it is hard. You have to deal with the criticism when you lose. And you have to deal with the criticism when you win. Whereas that's not the case if you go to South Carolina. It's not the case if you go to Kansas State. It's not the case if you go to UCLA. But it is the case if you go to an Ohio State, an Alabama, a Florida, a Georgia, an Auburn. It's just the way the world is. And, you know, like I said, the job isn't meant for everyone. And you've got intense pressures, and some of it is wholly unfair. But it's just Steve Spurrier thrived in it until he got burned out himself from it. Urban Meyer thrived in it until he got burned out. Even the most successful coaches. The fact that we have had the same number of coaches in the same time frame as the University of Tennessee says something. That's crazy. That's right. That's right. We have. That's insane. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, there's Dooley, Butch Jones. Butch Jones, Jeremy uh, Pruitt, and now yeah. Josh Heupel. We've had four coaches in the same time frame that the University of Tennessee has had. So you think about that. It's just not meant for everybody. And I know uh, there was an article on Saturday down south today about Florida eating up and spitting out its coaches. That's right. You literally have to devote your life to this job. You know, Saban does it at Alabama. Kirby does it at Georgia. And Dabo does it at Clemson. I guarantee you there are many meals with their families that they're missing. I guarantee you there are holidays that they're missing with their families. I guarantee you that there are nights that Kirby, Dabo, and Nick Saban don't get to bed with their significant others until well late into the night. Studying film, contacting recruits, talking to high school coaches, evaluating the tape from the week before, looking at opponents' tapes from the next week. You, these are the type of jobs that you have to devote your life to. 
and you can't really have a family life or much to say a personal life. Now, that's not to say that Nick Saban didn't go to his daughter's wedding, because he did. And that's not to say that Dabo isn't there, you know, at the birth of his his grandchild, which he is. Um, and that's not to say that Kirby, I don't know whatever Kirby does in his spare time, but that's not to say that he's not with his with his family. But you really can't have much of a family life or a personal life. This isn't the type of job that you were home at 6 p.m., you know, saying grace and having a meal with your family. That's just like you, Casey. You know that more than anyone because you just took that kind of job. It's not football. I did, but I did. And, you know, my family is very upset that I'm only going to be able to go up to Blue Ridge, Georgia, where they live, on Friday afternoon because um, we are doing um, – half of my family is Jewish, so we're doing a Seder on Friday night. And I'm going to have to come back on Saturday morning because this is my busy time of year. It's just the way it is. And they understand that. I mean, they don't like it, but they understand that. Um, you know, everything has to go to the program. If you were coaching at a program like the University of Florida, and Dustin chime in and Neil chime in, I'm not as big a, big into recruiting as you two are, correct? No, you're not. That's That's a fair statement. But I realize that eventually you have to get people into your program that fit your system that are committed to the logo and want to win. And then and you have to play them. Everything out on that field. And then you have to play them. That's right. You have to get them, and then you have to play them. Mullen doesn't do doesn't either matter. one of those two it things. It doesn't matter what class you're next to you. It doesn't matter if you're a junior, you're a senior, a freshman, a sophomore, a redshirt. It doesn't effing matter. You have to play the best players on the field. Dan Mullen wasn't willing to do that. And, you know, the final point that I'll make here is, you know, you have to give everything to the program, and that's a good and a bad thing. You know, you look at people like Urban Meyer and Steve Spurrier. You know, I'm sure Jerry Spurrier sees Steve Spurrier or saw Steve Spurrier during the football season, but she probably didn't see him as much as they would like. I guarantee you she's going to look back and say, well, you know, Steve was really devoted to his work, and he gave everything that he had to the University of Florida, the Washington Redskins, and the University of South Carolina. He gave everything that he had to these programs. And no, he didn't make it to dinner all the time, but I knew that he was following his passion, and that's what he did. Whereas, and I can't speak for Megan Mullen, but Dan Mullen did not give everything that he had. I think that was very clear two weeks ago after the Georgia game where I'm going to paraphrase, but Kirby Smart said, if you're not recruiting, somebody else is going to out-recruit you. If you're not doing this year-round all the time, Somebody's going to out-recruit you, and that is exactly what Kirby Smart has done. Not only to Dan Mullen, but to Mark Stoops, to Josh Heupel, to Shane Beamer, to Clark Lee, to – I'm not prepared to say Nick Saban yet. We'll see what happens in Atlanta in a few weeks. But Brian Harson, Jimbo Fisher, Ed Orgeron. I'm sorry, like recruiting is the lifeblood of the program. No, I'm still not going to invest my energy into what a 17-year-old, whatever decision they have to make. But, yeah, you have to. And when Dan Mullen made that quote of it's not recruiting season, between that, the Kentucky loss, and the LSU loss, that's where Dan Mullen lost. I can look back and say, okay, Jim McElwain lost me in 2017 versus LSU. I can look back and say, Will Muschamp lost me in 2013 at Georgia Southern. Ron Zook lost me when he lost to Miami in 2003. I can look back and just pinpoint all the moments when a coach lost me 
Uh, Jack Del Rio lost me when they lost to the Houston, when the Jacksonville Jaguars lost to the Houston Texans. You can pinpoint that moment. And for me, the moment where the straw broke, Dan Mullen got a lot more slack for me than other coaches do because he was Dan Mullen and because I wanted him to succeed because I loved the guy. But when he said it's not recruitment season, I'm not that big of a recruitment guy, but when I can look at it and go, dude, this is your job. Well, dude, in fairness, in fairness, he was, he was really saying, I'm not going to talk to you about recruiting. I'm not going to answer recruiting questions. I know. I know, but let's, let's, I just, we, you know, we should present that context to the audience that he did not actually say we don't recruit in a season. You just said, we're not going to talk about it, but, but but it's the, but but there's uh, Casey, there's that flippant attitude. There's that, yeah, 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 yeah. We're not going to do that. I don't want to do that. We're not going to do that. I don't want to do that. No, there it is again. I don't want to talk about it. The fact that Kirby is proud to talk about his recruitment at any time in the year because he's so damn good at it. Yeah. He is good at it. He lives and breathes recruitment. And you listen to that halftime speech, which I'm, I will advise the listeners to listen to with a parental advisory on it <laughs> but you listen to that halftime speech that he gave when his team was up seven was it 17 to nothing 24 nothing 24 nothing at half and he still wasn't pleased about it you know that the attitude of that versus dan mullen's halftime speech which i probably don't even want to hear and Dan Mullen's attitude of, we'll talk about recruitment after the season. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Like, what? Really? Dan? Really? You know? Yeah. So, I, I, you know, I wish the best for Dan Mullen, and I wish it had worked out. I really, really do. Like, I am bummed today that it didn't work out because – Muschamp needed to go. McElwee needed to go. And, yes, Mullen needed to go, but there was a difference. Those who needed to go because they didn't like them and they didn't fit the system and they knew they didn't fit the system. Mullen embraced it and Mullen was so good at it. And I understand the mindset from a lot of Gator fans that the last two coaches that we fired are the year after they've won a divisional title. Jim McElwain won two of them and Mullen won one. And we fired them the year after that. But there are intangibles that come to the University of Florida. And my friend Dana, who is a huge Alabama fan, we had a conversation today and she's like, you know, Florida fans won't ever be comfortable unless you win a certain way. You know what? You're right. Steve Spurrier spoiled us. We need to win with points. Urban Meyer spoiled us. We need to do it in style. Yeah. Right. That's and, right. And, you know, there, there comes a defensive, there, there is a need for a defensive performance, but you think back on the university of Florida, the first players that you think about are Danny Warfel, Tim Tebow, Steve Spurrier, Percy Harvin. Probably Kyle Pitts now. Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Tony. These are not defensive players. You don't necessarily think about off the top of your head. Now, I mentioned it. You'll be like, oh, yeah, of course I would. You don't think about a major right. You don't think about an Amat Black. You don't think about a Wilbur Marshall. You don't think about a Jack Youngblood. We are an offensive first program, and that is what we're always going to be. So, so let me ask you, Casey. You're, you're talking about a program that 
yes, does have a history of great defense and great defensive players. But like you said, Spurrier spoiled us. Urban then re-spoiled us. So we thought Mullen was the guy because he was the offensive coordinator for those two national titles in 06 and 08. Um, yeah, that didn't work out. So now we have to move forward and once again throw ourselves into the into that. Like, I think the next coaches that we look at, there are pros and cons to all. Right? You look at the last head coach that we hired without head coaching experience, Will Muschamp. That didn't work out. And Bronzo before him didn't work out. You look at the last coach that we hired from a non-power five background, Jim McElwain, didn't work out. You look at the last coach from an, from an SEC program with Florida Ties, didn't work out. A lower SEC program, but yes, nonetheless. Still, still an SEC program. But yes, lower tier, but still an SEC program. Personally, I don't want Lane Kiffin anywhere near the controls in this program. We thought Muschamp had drama. We thought Urban Meyer had drama. I don't want anywhere near. Sure, Lane Kiffin is a good offensive mind, and I think he's successful at Ole Miss, and I think he was successful at FAU because the spotlight wasn't on him. He, if people forget, he flamed out at Tennessee, and he flamed out and got fired on the tarmac at USC. And from the Oakland Raiders. Yep, true. Yep. So maybe he's grown up, maybe he hasn't. But I think he is a mid-major and or lower SEC tier coach. And I know Florida fans are always going to want to go for the hottest name on the market. But you know, if Lane Kiffin gets hired, he loses to Utah. Oh, we shouldn't have hired him. He was a he was a ball of drama. We sh- he spoke against Florida in 2009. He wasn't the guy that we needed. We should have hired blah, 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 blah. The Twitter armchair coaching mafia is going to criticize whatever coach that we have in here after his first loss. We know that's going to happen. I like Billy Napier. Um, I think he's done an incredible job. Now, the problem is we're going against LSU. He's the current coach at the University of Louisiana Lafayette. He's had good recruiting classes, granted, in the Sun Belt, but he is noted as a, as a good recruiter. He worked at Clemson. Uh, he recruited Taj Boyd and co- coached Todd Boyd at Clemson. Um, I, I think that would be the next logical step for him. But again, he's turned down Auburn. He turned down South Carolina. I don't know if Florida is going to be enough for him right now. I don't know. Um, but that's my number one choice. He's got the recruiting acumen. Uh, he's had consecutive double-digit win seasons at ULL. Um, and I think he's got the passion, he's got the drive, and he's young enough and driven enough to make this work. Um, I don't want Mario Cristobal uh, just because I think that would be Dan Mullen 2.0. He loses games that he inexplicably should not have lost. He lost to Stanford this year. He lost to um, Utah last night in a game that on the scoreboard did not look anywhere near what the final score was. Um, they were listless. It was They were ranked third in the country. They controlled their destiny. And if you look at Mary Cristobal, his overall record is 61-59. and 59. So... Well, some know. of that's from, F, from from FIU, including a 62-3 beating from Florida in 2009. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, nah. I, I want Crystal Ball because I think he'd recruit. I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm going to give my my uh, short list later. But 
he'd recruit, but there, there are definitely problems with him. And so give me, give me two other coaches that you definitely want. And then give me a dark horse candidate that you think could be good that no one's thinking about. Yeah, sure. So, you know, my first choice, as I said, would be Billy Napier. Billy Napier. Um, I think he would be a, a good coach. My second uh, choice would be um, uh, Luke Fickle from Cincinnati. Um, I think he's done an incredible job there. Um, obviously, they're in the playoff hunt this year. He was a great coordinator at Ohio State, um, won a national championship with them. He's got the humble nature of accepting the head coaching position. Granted, he lost Florida in the Gator Bowl um, in 2011-2012. I'm never sure how they're categorized, but after the 2011 season. Uh, but then accepted, went back to his old position after being a head coach, which a lot of people couldn't do. Um, so I like that. Um, and these next two, Neil, I'm, I, I'm going to put these as number three slash dark horse. Um, because they're tied in my ass in my eyes. Um, Bob Stoops, uh, I think he kicks the tires. Um, you know, we've I, I've read a lot of things today that he's not opposed to coming back. Maybe this is the right time. Just like we approached Mullen um, when we hired Jim McElwain and he wasn't interested. Maybe this is the right time um, to get Bob Stoops. Bob Stoops is 61 years old. He's retired uh, and he works on television. But Urban Meyer was retired. I don't know how old Urban Meyer is on top of my head, but he came back to coach the Jacksonville Jaguars. I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, that's what makes him number three slash star course. And the other one that I would put would be Joe Brady. Joe Brady. We saw when, no head coaching. No head coaching experience there, but the offensive mind is definitely intriguing. Yep. Yep. And we saw what he did with that 2019 LSU offense. So no head coaching experience. There are pros and cons to both. Uh, Bob Stoops, clearly something made him retire in Oklahoma when he was in his prime. Don't know what it was. Joe Brady doesn't have any head coaching experience. That, that's what makes him number three slash dark horse. That's a um, dark, dark horse there. Yep. I'm, you asked me for a dark horse. Yeah, yeah I did. That's not a terrible one. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting one. but it's, Go and kick the tires. Yeah. But, but my last point here is before I get to the FCC points, which will be real quick. Uh, for everybody that is a UF fan, and I'm a, I'm a Gator born and bred, love the University of Florida. I've been to 112 games. I don't think you really can question, you know, my Gator game. But I'm going to say the UF, the University of Florida is no longer a destination program. It's just not. And I'm going to be dead honest, you know, I know Dustin likes to talk about, you know, we like to keep it real on this podcast. We are not a destination program right now. We have not won an SEC championship since 2008. We've not won a national championship since 2008. We've not had a Heisman winner since 2007. Uh, we have a, we have not beaten Alabama since 2008. We are on, I mean, if I look back, We've beaten LSU since 2010. We have beaten LSU in 2012, 2016, and 2018. So we have three wins in 10 years against LSU. In 12 years. Yeah, 12 years, fine. We have a losing record against L uh, FSU in the same time frame. Uh, we are not what we were. And it doesn't make anybody a bad thing for saying that. The University of Florida, and I'm not going to say it's broken, 
But the University of Florida, there are a lot of leaks in that thingy. And we are very, very close to being broken. We are Tennessee in a slower, decaying model. Now, come on. Tennessee hasn't been to a New Year's Six Bowl ever. I'm just saying, <laughs> we are Tennessee. Look, we change coaches. Maybe you can say Texas. We change coaches as fast as this country changes presidents. Maybe you can say Texas. Is it, is it better? I, I don't know, Neil. I don't know. Texas has been to its conference championship game. Texas has been to and won New Year's Six Bowls. Tennessee hasn't done shit. I well now you're gonna have to make this pot explicit. We already had to because you you cursed, but I did not. Made, I said F. No, no, no. That's it, I said him and I said hell. I said F. Right. Go back and listen to the tape. Right, well, either way, we're burning Dustin's Puritan ears. So I, University of Florida is no longer a destination job. And I think we all need to be humble. We all need to be honest. And we all need to take off our orange and blue glasses and see that we are not a destination job right now. And I think what that translates to in terms of coaching, you have to figure if you're looking at this without the orange and blue biased glasses, without the Twitter armchair coaches, we have fired the last two coach. The last two coaches that we fired are the year after they won a divisional title. Yep. So don't know what that means long term, but I we just can't name our coach and name our price because we're going to owe Dan Mullen twelve million dollars. Not to mention the assistant salaries that we already have to pay out. Yep, that's, and that we just had done paying Jim McElwain for his buyout. Bobby Benilla is watching and laughing hysterically right now. Um, Who is? Bobby Vanilla. Uh, for those of you who don't know, go go Google Bobby Vanilla Mets. You'll you'll see. Um, and okay, I'm sure I, I'm sure TJ Pittenger is raising a glass at this entire conversation from when we last saw him in Tampa. You and I, Neil. Yeah. So, well, you know, my, a few points on FSU, and I'll make it real quick. I don't know what to expect. I don't know. We could come out completely flat and listless, or we could just come out and throw. Since Neil's already said it. We can throw all the shit at the wall and see what sticks. I don't know. I I I have zero clue. FSU is not a good team. Neither are we. Are they more Are they more motivated? Are we listless because we fired the head coach? Are we fired up because we want to end the season on a good note? Can Greg Knox get more out of this team than what Dan Mullen did? I don't know the answer to any of those questions. Uh, I think the key is going to be: What do we look like? Are we motivated? Do we want to go to a bowl? Um, you know, I, I saw a meme that said, you know, between 1990 and 2001, there were 12 matchups where we were in the top 10, if you include the 96 national championship between Florida and Florida State. I don't know. I mean, they barely beat Boston College. They lost to a Division II team. FCS. We lost to a Division II team, but we lost games that we shouldn't have. We fired our head coach. Both programs are in a state of tumult and mediocrity. Uh, I don't know. So I can't give you a prediction. I, I, no, I, Florida could win 41 to 10, or Florida could lose 50 to 10. I'm going to force you to give a prediction. Give me a score, Prick. Florida State, 14, Florida 6. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, okay, that, that's. I, uh, 
don't know. I don't know. I mean, if you were to ask me, just I, I don't know. That's that's what I see because neither team is good on either side of the ball, but they have a head coach that Florida State's been playing for, and they seem to have come together at the right time for. Yeah, they do. So I- that 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 gives them the edge on 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 that. But again, you know, we saw our defense look terrible against Stanford, but last night they played the best defensive performance I've seen in years. Well, certainly so, since, um, yeah, certainly since, since 19, but. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. So, but guys, I got to go. So, uh, yeah. go Gators. Um, you know, I know we said this a lot, you know, in all kinds of weather, we all stick together and I'm, I'm sure as hell tired of it raining and I'm tired of getting out my damn galoshes with all the rain and the crap weather that we've endured, but we'll get yeah. through it. You know, we have one, possibly two more games, and then, you know, Florida's got to get this higher right, and Florida has to get this higher quickly because early national signing day is coming. And I know this class is already going to be messed up to begin with, but let's not have a worse class than Vanderbilt. Yeah, sounds good to me. Hopefully um, hopefully we can get one of our two biggest sports to do something uh, positive this year. Happy Thanksgiving, Neil. Hope you enjoy your family, Dustin. Uh, I hope you're doing well, and uh, everybody stay safe. Casey, it was super great to hear from you. Uh, it's always a pleasure to um, hear what you have to say about Gator football. I know that uh, obviously the the circumstances surrounding this one was not not uh, ideal, considering we're we're now looking for a new coach, and the program is not where it needs to be. It's good to get him back for all time's sake. Um, hopefully he'll, hopefully he will find some more time at some point in the future to, uh, to rejoin us on a more consistent basis. But yes. Anyway, um, I, I think there, there, there is one more real point uh, that that's got to be said about Dan Mullen that that Casey did hit on a little bit, but I want to go a little bit more detail on it. Um, we 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 will have plenty of time, I think, to talk about potential new coaching hires. Unless it happens very, very quickly, I think that we're going to have time to do a whole different pod just talking about it. So we'll get to that a little bit later. But as for Mullen, he signed his death warrant by not firing Todd Grantham after the 2020 season. That, that was it. There was nothing he did in his first three years that was so wrong. It was a fireable offense. Keeping Todd Grantham after 2020 was easily the most fireable offense I have seen from any Florida coach aside from Jim McElwain's made up death threats. I didn't think the hire was terrible of Grantham. I thought it was okay. So, so first two years were fine. Not great, but fine. 2020, it all comes off the rails. There are three different games in 2020 where Florida gives up 600 plus yards of total offense when that had only happened two prior times in the school's history. And in a shortened season, it happens three times. It directly cost Florida a national title. Forget having a top 10 defense like Florida usually does. An average SEC defense wins the national title that year. With an average defense, we don't lose to Texas A&M. We definitely don't lose to LSU, even with that pick six that Trask threw. And maybe a hot take here, but I think we beat Alabama twice in 2020 with an average defense because 
We almost beat them once with that atrocious defense, giving up over 600 yards at 52 points. I don't think we, I mean, we don't embarrass them. We don't blow them away, obviously, because that doesn't happen to Nick Saban ever, really. Um, but I think we, we first beat them in Atlanta and we beat them again in the CFP to win the national title. Tyler Grantham cost us all of that, all of it. You, you could point to Marco Wilson. Uh, he definitely played a part in that costing Florida the natty with. First the bomb to Caleb Chapman, Texas A&M, and then the shoe throw. But that's a small piece of the much larger puzzle. Grantham has a lot of the same character flaws that Dan Mullen does, except somehow he's actually 10 times nastier of a human being. But I mean, we'll, we'll save that uh, for you know, an off-season article or pod. We'll put that you know, out there in more profound and more complete context later but anyway yeah he, he's a worse person but he's got the same loyalty to a fault problem he's stubborn as hell refuses to make changes even when it's obvious he has to his his defensive scheme is very complicated i actually do think it could work in the nfl but in college when guys are only there for three or four years especially now with the portal they're only there for one year and truly don't have time to master it. It's it's just so unlikely that you have a unit of 11 guys who all know their assignments on a given play because you know, 10 of 11 guys do, but one doesn't, and it's a bust and it's a touchdown. So, I mean, and, th- and that's why we always see so many guys pointing around and not getting lined up right before the snap. A, a great coordinator or even a good one, I think, would, would have simplified the scheme a bit after it didn't work the first year. I mean, I wouldn't have minded seeing him try it for a year, maybe hope against hope the guys get it, but you got to learn like when you're trying to ask guys who aren't there for too long to do too many things, do too much, maybe, you know, just simplify it, simplify your scheme, make sure the players understand that just make it hat on hat football gap on gap just simple assignment football. Maybe if the guys are picking that up well, maybe throw in some stunts and disguise some coverages here and there, which, by the way, worked in the Orange Bowl. Uh, that, that that was when Kyrie Elam grabbed that late pick um, to, to help win that game. Um, but you can only do that once the players have mastered the basics of your defensive scheme. It's a, it's a walk before you can run kind of thing. And to make things worse, like Dan Mullen, he does not play the best players at certain positions. Again, that's another story for another day too, but too long for this podcast. But yeah, the personnel decisions are just as bad and at times even worse than Mullins. And that all added up to the 83rd worst defense in the FBS in 2020 and one that cost Florida the national title. And Mullen still didn't fire him after all that. He decided to bring him back in 2021, despite there being no objective reason to do so. And I don't want to hear about not wanting to pay his buyout. That's horseshit. That is verifiably not accurate. Predictably, he comes back in 2021, and the results, again, suck. <laughs> the defense, again, ranks well outside the top 50 in the FBS. Grantham's inability to adjust, shocker, to a simple counterplay doomed Florida against an LSU team that for the second straight year was mostly using backups after the Georgia game four losses have you know, found themselves beside Florida's name in the standings. The players started checking out. They, they were tired of Grantham's mismanagement of not only the personnel, but 
I mean, the scheme as a whole. And there's no objective way South Carolina beats us 40 to 17 if the team is still bought in. And they may have beaten us. Teams do win the game when they're less talented or even when they don't play well. Upsets are a part of the game. But a three-touchdown loss to that team is not a result that's possible if Florida is giving its all as a collective team. And that's kind of why Mullen's gone. I mean, it's that plus the attitude that he deployed throughout the year. It's it's the fact that he was resigned uh, and, and didn't really care against Missouri. Um, it's 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 not the record. People say, oh, he had three great years, three New Year's Six Bowls. You're going to fire him after one year? It's, it's not about that. It's about the fact that Dan Mullen was – and Casey tweeted this out at, during Tennessee. He said it best then. Um, Dan Mullen would rather lose doing it his way than win doing things a different way. He would prefer – to have that control and go down having exercised his control, having not been told what to do. He would rather lose while having that control than win and ceding that control and and giving up that control and letting someone else be right. He'll, I mean, you, you can ask him about it. Mullen will say, no, of course not. I want to win at all costs. That's not the reality that we saw play out on the field. That's It's just not the way it was. Because if it was, if that was true, he'd still be here. Grantham would have been gone after 2020. Felipe Franks and, and I, I, I hate to throw Franks under the bus anymore. I think we've done that a lot. Um, but Felipe Franks would not have been the starting QB in 2019. There, there are no shortage of players who former and still current now, who tell me that Kyle Trask was way better than Franks was in practices. It wasn't even close. It wasn't, they weren't in the same stratosphere. Kyle Trask looked so exponentially better than Felipe Franks did in those practices leading up to 2019. I I don't know if that's the case in 2018. I didn't have as many contacts there. Uh, I mean, I know he took over for for Franks in the Missouri game and probably would have been the starter the week after until he broke his foot. So I don't want to say about that, but pre-2019 was when I really had the most contacts there that they all told me the same thing. This wasn't even close. Kyle Trask looked head and shoulders better than Felipe Franks. Mullen, for some reason, chose to go with Franks. Franks almost gives away the Miami game, and he's still the starter moving forward. It takes fate intervening, takes a broken leg against Kentucky for Kyle Trask to even be a thing. Who knows where Trask would be now? He certainly would have been a second-round pick. Who knows where he'd be now if that doesn't happen? So, and, and, and this isn't to say, well, because he did that, he doesn't deserve to be the head coach of Florida anymore. This isn't a punishment. This isn't like a, a sort of revenge that Florida is getting at the ML. Well, you screwed over your own team, so now we're going to fire you. No. The problem is because he exercised this, this attitude of I'm going to lose things. I'm, I'm willing to lose as long as I have control, and I'd rather lose my way than win some other way. This attitude that he has of that, finally started to cost Florida and then things got worse. Then he quit 
on his program. Then he stopped preparing for games like Missouri. How in the hell are we supposed to trust him to somehow get first to first of all get that that gator chomping off the plane, beat your ass, thumb wrestling, running steps type of attitude back? How are we supposed to get that back and get rid of this arrogant, snarky, twatty attitude that he carried himself with when he was winning? How do we get rid of that and get the genius play caller back, the quarterback whisperer? How, it, it's not possible. So, yes, if you just look at the wins and losses, it doesn't look like it was a good decision. It looks like Florida acted rashly. But if you look a little bit deeper, you see some of the things he was saying, you start to pick up the guy's attitude and his internal feelings on things, his preference to do things his way and only his way. And if you say maybe he's just saying things another way, you're an idiot. You're a moron. I'm going to do it my way. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not thinking about that. You, you look at that, you see that it's, it's very unlikely that things were going to get better. Yes, the schedule does set up well next year. Florida could easily be 10 and two because even with the way he's recruited, Florida could out talent at least nine or 10 teams on their schedule. But Florida would never win a national championship with him. Florida would never overtake Alabama with him. Florida would never be among the top tier in college football consistently. At best, Florida might have had a single year where things all go his way, like like a Gene Chizik situation at Auburn in 2010 or an Ed Orgeron situation at LSU in 2019 where all the stars align. You have a transcendent quarterback. Maybe that would be AR-15. I don't know. But you need so many things to go your way, so many different bounces to work out in your favor. All the luck has to go your way, and he'd win a national title. He would not be anything more than that. And that's the best case scenario. The more likely scenario is that Florida is just a consistent nine and three, 10 and two type of team. And of course the worst case scenario being this, this flame out could have continued to just run its course. And next year would have looked like 2014 did for Florida where, yeah, they will be a little bit better. It won't completely go off the rails, but He's lost control, and it's not going to ever get appreciably better. So however you wanted to, to say the next few years would have gone, it was near impossible to say that Dan Mullen would have had Florida competing for championships the way he said he wanted to, the way he said that's the goal at the University of Florida. And the key is the S at the end, championships, plural, more than one, that not necessarily winning them, but – competing for them on a yearly basis, the way he did his first three years. I don't think he would have ever gotten us back there. So again, it it is a sad, sad thing that we had to do. Florida, I, I don't think had any better options out there in 2017 when we fired McElwain, other than maybe Chip Kelly, although, you know, UCLA is not looking so tremendous right now, but I think it was the best hire we could have possibly made because of his ties here, because of his history as the OC in 05 to 08. And I, I wanted him to work out so badly. I wanted him to just shed that attitude, uh, which, which, by the way, you can have to a, to a small degree. You can have small doses of it. Like, I didn't mind the Star Wars thing. I didn't mind him running out into the field to protect his players. 
I, and and I you know when you're winning, I don't necessarily mind the attitude. I don't love it. I, I I would rather him not have it, but I can live with it. I can tolerate it. I don't think that it's possible to argue any of that when he's losing games. When when you're losing games, you, you, you know you can't have it. So. It's sad, but it had to happen, and now Florida's back on the coaching market. So, Dustin, um, I, I know this is sort of like – I mean, this, this episode was more uh, the, the three of us trading monologues than anything else. But uh, anything else you want to say about Mullen before we move on to the coaching situation and then briefly touch on FSU? Yeah, Neil. Dan Mullen is – like I said before, he's a coach that, that I'll continue to support. Um, he's not done by any stretch of the imagination uh, in coaching football. He's going to be part of a staff. He, he may even be a head coach again. And as long as he's not coaching as part of you know, the big three rivals, in my mind, that's, that's uh, Florida State, Georgia, or LSU, um, I'll cheer him on. Uh, and I wish him all the best. Um, his, uh, his wife, Megan, who, who, uh, gave all she had to this Florida program along with the, with, with, with their two great kids. Um, I wish him all the best. Uh, at the end of the day, when, when we can, we can speak to the, the state of the program and, uh, we can recognize that a change had to be made. Um, and the right decision was made, unfortunately, in firing Dan Mullen. Um, as you mentioned, and I'm going to echo it, because he did not make a change at the defensive coordinator spot in uh, 2020 um, or at the end of 2020, it really, it really cost him this year and set this team back. Um, he's also, he was also incredibly stubborn when it came to some decisions he made throughout the season. Um, I, I've said this a thousand times. Uh, behind closed doors and in, in um, private direct messages with, with you and Casey. And I've said it quite a few times on Twitter and, and quite a few times in the podcast. But Dan Mullen should have started Anthony Richardson um, early in the season. Um, it became very clear early on that Emory Jones was not providing the spark to this offense that his mental processing of the, um, of the scheme was not to what it needed to be in order to uh, play at a championship level. And for that reason, it, it cost Dan Mullen. And again, like we discussed earlier, I'm not going to speculate. I've, I know Dan Mullen mentioned that, that uh, Anthony Richardson was hurt. Um, I've heard other sources that, that say otherwise, but that doesn't matter. What matters is Dan Mullen continued to uh, be loyal to uh, people and players Um and he, he played the guy that he was the most loyal to instead of playing the guy uh, that was better and, and making bigger plays. Um, defensively, we saw what could happen when you finally play uh, guys like uh, Tyron Hopper and Chris Bogle. Um, both of them had an incredible game. And because they're playing linebacker and they're making the right fits and the right, the right uh, reads in the ball and the right, the right uh, pre-snap adjustments and, you know, going to the right bubble and all that stuff, all that nitty-gritty X's no stuff on the defensive side, it made the entire defense better. Um, Zach Carter had a, had a great night, and I think that was in part due to the linebackers playing their part. 
uh, Valentino, the, the defensive lineman, had his first sack as a Gator. Um, incredible. Uh, and I think that speaks to something. It speaks to um, when you play the best players, you're going to see great results. Um, and that's what the next coach should do. The next coach, whoever it is, needs to play the best players, needs to get the best players in the state. We need to be – there's no excuse why the flagship university in the state of Florida shouldn't be a top five program in recruiting. There's no reason why uh, Florida shouldn't be the de facto East champion along with Georgia. Um, there's no reason why we should be uh, bottom of the barrel. And we, we literally look like Vanderbilt right now, and it's not good. And that's why the change need to happen. And that's why it did happen. So we uh, lost to a team that Vanderbilt uh, almost beat. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, man, you're talking about things the next coach has to do. So um, again, I mean, this pod has already gone on for almost two hours. So it's now probably about four hours after the news broke on Sunday. So it is kind of still fresh to us. But Dustin, you and I have been thinking a little bit about who the next coach should be. Um, if if the coaching search does go on long enough, if it's not a very quick turnaround before we hire the next guy, we will have time to go into more detail on this. But for now, who are your top three choices to replace Dan Mullen and then give me a dark horse candidate? Unfortunately, the, uh, the prospects for elite coaching um, that could potentially come to the University of Florida, it's not super deep right now. Um, I'm going to go with Billy Napier as my number one. In fact, um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, give a quick uh, preview um, or uh, teaser advertisement because my hope is that later on in the week um, I'll put out on the, on the website uh, a deep dive into um, Billy Napier and I'll look at his uh, coaching history, his coaching tree. Um, I'll even do a, a little film breakdown on some of the scheme uh, that he runs at um, Louisiana Lafayette as their head coach. So I look forward to bringing that. Um, as soon as it's done, um, I hope we get it done uh, by the end of the week. And hopefully hopefully it gets done before we announce the coach. That would be nice. It would be really weird to be working on this and, and then some other coach gets hired. And I'm like, oh, well, there goes that effort and time. Anyhow, so Billy Napier is, is my number one option. Um, because of the recruiting, I, I cannot deny uh, Mario Cristobal. Um, I vehemently disagree with Casey's point that Mario Cristobal would be essentially a Dan Mullen. Um, unfortunately, with with, uh, with Dan Mullen, um, he was not able to recruit the best in the state. Uh, I think if Mario Cristobal gets the job as the University of Florida head coach, um, I think he would um, out-recruit almost anybody. Uh, I think we would be a top three recruiting program up there with Alabama and Georgia. Um, and I think, I, think we, I think when you have the most talented guys and you put the right people around you, you're going to be successful. So that's why I think Crystal Ball would be successful. Um, I'm also going to put, I'm going to put two people kind of in that, in that third tier. I'm going to put uh, Luke Fickle and Lane Kiffin. Um, I, for obvious reasons, I'm not a big Lane Kiffin fan, but I do understand the pros that surround him. Um, as far as the pros and cons, there's definitely a lot of cons as well. And hopefully if time permits in a later episode, we'll, we'll be able to break him down a little more. 
a dark horse. Um, I I really like the dark horse that Casey had mentioned with with Joe Brady. Uh, I think that would be a, a tough one, um, considering he, he he literally was purposed with developing an offense. Um, there's a lot of elements in regards to uh, coaching football and being the head coach that he doesn't really have the experience to be successful with, especially at the highest level. Um, but my, my uh, dark horse is going to be Bob Stoops. Um, what he did at Oklahoma uh, cannot be overshadowed. Um, the fact that there's actually reports, legitimate reports, that he would be interested and he would listen if Florida uh, gave him a call. Um, that, that says all I need to hear um, as far as putting him as a dark horse. On top of that, um, you know, people cry uh, over and over again um, how badly they wanted and how badly people want to have somebody who's been a part of the Florida program. People, uh, you want a person that in some way, shape, or form understands the culture uh, that is demanded in terms of building a championship program. And Bob Stoops, not only has he lost to Florida as a head coach in, in that 2008-2009 national championship game, um, but he coached for Florida and won a national championship in that 1996 national championship game. He was a big part of that. Uh, um, you know, we, 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 looking at that score, 52 to 20, he was a big part of Florida State only scoring 20 points in that game. And uh, the rest is history in terms of him as a dark horse. So, um, Neil, you know how much I love discussing uh, the coaching carousel. Um, in fact, as soon as there was any inkling that Dan Mullen might be fired, you, you know that I wanted to bring this up on the, on the pod, but, but you cautioned me greatly. So here we are uh, finally and officially able to talk about the coaching carousel in terms of where Florida might go next. So, Neil, um, enough of what I have to say about it. I'm, I'm actually really anxious to, uh, to hear what you have to say about it because honestly – and I'm not, I'm not shilling or I'm not gassing you up in any way, but bef- long before I was ever a part of the In All Kinds of Weather organization, um, your article on uh, the head coaching search was something that I really went to. You pointed out Chip Kelly, Scott Frost, and Dan Mullen, and then you really highlighted Dan Mullen, and he was the eventual hire so I'm interested. I, I think whoever you think is going to be the eventual hire, that's who I'm going to put my money on um, because you're, you're a one-stop shop when it comes to this, and you're, you're good at what you do, and, and I can only imagine that you're, you're a little bit better now than you were four years ago. Yeah, well, thank you, man. Um, I, I, I had great people on the ground in Gainesville um, at that time. That's, that's how I did it. I would never have guessed McElwain – was going to be the guy in 2014, um, 2010, after we fired or, or after Muschamp left, we hired Muschamp. I wouldn't have guessed that either. So I'm, I'm just as good as the people who feed me info that that's all, that's all them. Um, I, I was cautioned, uh, you from saying one thing though. And, and that's that, um, I'm excited to talk about the coaching carousel, I really, really did not want to have to be in this position. I wanted Dan Mullen to work out so, so badly. He just couldn't get out of his own way, and we had to make the move. But I really did not want to have to be here. But 
since we are here, since Mullen did not leave us with any choice, I think if I had to bet my life savings on any one guy, it would be Bob Stoops. But I, again, I say that with very low confidence. Um, I, I think that he is the first call we'll make. Steve Spurrier and him are still very close. Of course, Stoops was the D.C. under Spurrier during his his heyday at Florida. I, I do think that if we get Stoops, Spurrier will be involved with the program a little bit. I don't I mean, he's obviously not going to take an official role. He won't be the play caller. He won't be the offensive coordinator. He won't do anything like that. But I, I think he'll be in Stoops' ear, giving him some advice here and there. And I think Stoops will take it, unlike Mullen. Mullen uh, is notorious for not giving a shit what anyone else ever thought, and that was part of what led to his demise at Florida. So right right off the bat, right there, that's something I think that makes him uh, a very attractive hire. I'm well aware of the fact, yeah, 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 big game Bob, couldn't win anything since his second year there in 2000. I, I'm fully cognizant of that, but I think – the name Bob Stoops at Florida combined with, yeah, Steve Spurrier still involved a little bit here can kind of sway recruits to come to Florida on top of the fact that we have new facilities coming on top of the fact that we're the Florida Gators with three national championships with eight sec championships. Uh, we, we play in the sec. If you're from the state of Florida, or if, even if you're like from Atlanta or new Orleans, you can come play for a school that's not that far away, whereas you know Ohio State and USC, um, and even even Texas, I guess for for some kids don't necessarily have that. Although they have, they have their own state uh, to clean up in. But I I think Bob Stoops would be more attractive at Florida than a lot of people think. So I, I think that's the first call you make. I think the second most likely guy is Billy Napier. I think Florida is going to be in a battle with. LSU for him. I just he he's so underrated, Billy Napier. I I don't know if that's the kind of guy Strickland's going to go for. I don't know what kind of pressure is on Strickland right now. I don't know if he feels like he has to make a home run higher. He's going to be fired because let's face it, the women's basketball thing is still very much a thing and is not going away. So. I don't know if maybe he feels like I have to get this higher right to make everyone forget about it or, or something like that. I, I have no idea, but that's who I would go for second. Um, by the way, I, I would say that Bob Stoops is, is probably my first choice. Um, although again, it would come with the caveat that, that Spurrier is going to be in his ear and still at least a figurehead in the operation so that kids from around the state of Florida can be drawn to UF on the recruiting trail. So for that reason, he's number one. Two is Napier. Um, he's so underpaid at Louisiana. Florida can double, even triple his salary with relative ease. I think LSU and, and possibly even Miami, if they fire Diaz, are going to be after him. But he has turned down offers before. I don't think he'll be, he'll be able to turn one down this time. I think between Florida, LSU, and maybe even Miami, he'll have – uh, he'll have a new home next year. I think number three is Dave Clawson. At look at Wake Forest, you cannot recruit there. You have to win games by coaching and just scooping up the recruits that in North Carolina that 
you know, Clemson, Virginia Tech, and any other Raiders from far away, like Florida or Ohio State or Texas or USC or Notre Dame, all miss on somehow, you have to take those grabs. You don't have a choice. You cannot go to a kid's house and say, yeah, we're Wake Forest. Come play for us without, I mean, some reason for it. You have to take what's left over after all the elite schools have already gotten what they want on the recruiting trail. So he's got them in the rankings, you know, this year in the CFP rankings, had them in the national championship conversation for, you know, into November, which is unheard of for Wake Forest. That's like the ACC equivalent of, of Vanderbilt. Oh, I guess maybe Duke is um, because they're, you know, they don't, I don't know, but yeah, Clausen has done so much with so little resources at his disposal. Imagine him at Florida with the resources, with the new facility that Florida has. I don't know how good of a recruiter he'd be at Florida. I, I think he would do fine, but I also want, you know, that, that big time, you know, big name recruiter who could also coach them up well, but you know, we can also can't have everything. So I would say he is three because he, his, his resume is kind of similar to Mullins, except that he doesn't have that that irritating attitude about him. Um, Dark Horse candidate is Dave Dorn at NC State. I think he wants to make a move somewhere soon. I don't think he's going to be there forever. I mean, he, he's been there for, I think, eight years now since coming from Northern Illinois. Um, had a very good team there with Jordan Lynch for a year. Got them to the Orange Bowl. And now he's got NC State doing pretty well in the same division as Clemson and I know they suck now, but at the start of his tenure, FSU was really good. And he's been quietly churning out very good season after very good season after very good season. I mean, the, the first year was bad because he took over a, a mess there. But since then, they've had winning seasons every year except for one, which again, at NC State, not a powerhouse program, is pretty good. So, Neil, those are actually pretty good names um, as far as Clawson and, and Dorn. I, I wasn't too keen on, on, on them, um, but I think it's important that, that you're able to bring out some other names that maybe people aren't mentioning. Um, I, I do think that recruiting is going to play a role, and uh, I do think Scott Strickland is going to try to find somebody who's going to be able to recruit the state of Florida and is going to be able to recruit the best in the country. And as you mentioned, that's going to be why somebody like Bob Stoops would be an incredible hire. And to anybody that's uh, trying to throw um, Mark Stoops into the mix, the guy's definitely not a culture fit in, in Gainesville. And I'll leave it at that. Um, I would coach. much prefer him in Gainesville than I would in Baton Rouge or Tallahassee. Because he can recruit. There's no doubt about that. Yes, that is true. Are we going to, speaking of Tallahassee, Neil, I think we have uh, a few minutes left to predict a very unpredictable uh, matchup between two very inconsistent teams. We have, of course, the uh, Florida State Criminals, up, I mean Seminoles, um, and then we also have the Florida Gators. And, uh, yeah, I, I had to, I had to throw in a Florida state joke. I know, I know, yeah. I know we're struggling right now. I had to, I had to do it. 
They're probably yeah. gonna get all the all the all the jabs and trolls in after the games. So we may as well get one in before. Um, yeah, I don't think I've ever been this unexcited for a Florida football game, uh, maybe ever, because or for for a Florida FSU football game ever. Because in 2013, I knew that our defense was good. I knew we we could hold them. And I thought, yeah, they're playing for a national title. Let's see if we can ruin their national title dreams. Because if we beat them, there's no shot they're going to the BCS title game, even if they blow out Duke in the ACC title game. So, yeah, there's that. And, you know, maybe we can keep them close, see what happens. 2017, I liked Randy Shannon. I know he was not a fit for the University of Florida. I, I get it. But he... He, he's the reason my guy James Houston came to Florida and, you know, he was the head coach for a game. So what the hell, man, you're a kid in a candy store for a night. Let's see what you got. Go ahead and let's see if we can get you a win over FSU. So uh, I was excited for that reason. I've never been this unexcited for a game. There is the excitement of, of seeing Zach Carter ball out one more time, Damian Pierce ball out one more time. There are, there are some seniors I will want to see do well, but by and large, I cannot remember ever being this uh, this apathetic about a Gator football game uh, because we know that there's so much more at stake that lies ahead with the, with the coaching search and then the upcoming recruiting cycle, whether Florida goes five and seven or goes to a bowl game at six and six is not really going to matter. We're still going to have far more consequential games against FSU ahead. It would be nice to beat them. It would be nice to throw that in their face. I don't think it's going to happen, but it would be cool to do and say, ha, 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 ha. Even with this terrible year that got our coach fired, we still beat you. So I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, let's just go into our our verdict. Because like Casey said, I have no idea how to pick this game. I don't no idea how to make heads or tails of it. I think the seniors will ball out and play well. I don't know about the rest of the team, though. So uh, key to the game for me, I'm going to say, is stop number 11 on FSU. Jermaine Johnson is an absolute monster and our offensive line is all time bad. So I don't know if that means just using six offensive linemen instead of a tight end. I don't know if that means double or even tripling him on every play, but if we don't do something to at least attempt to slow him down, he's going to get like five sacks. He's going to just completely ruin our game plan. We'll have nowhere for any of our running backs to go. Emory Jones will have no time to read the field. Not that he does that very well anyway, but I mean, give him even less time than he has and he'll do it even less successfully. Uh, So if Florida has any chance at all, they got to stop Jermaine Johnson Um, player to watch for. I I went with Zach Carter in the last one because I said, I want to see him ball out while we still got him. Same line of logic. I I still want to see Zach Carter go out and ball out uh, one more time. I want to see Damian Pierce. I want to see this guy get the fucking carries that he deserves. I've, I, 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 I was a little late to that train, I'll admit, uh, because Florida does have great running backs behind him in Malik Davis and in Naquan Wright. Those are two very good running backs. But Damian Pierce is going to be a lot like LaMichael Pirine in the sense that no one's I – mean, we're, we're going to remember him as – yeah, he was so great. Remember this play? Remember that play? Remember what he could do? But ultimately, he's not going to be anywhere close to having any Florida records at all. He'll never be in those discussions because he wasn't used enough and because he played behind a bad offensive line. So I want to see him go out and ball out on his last game. Uh, and Malik Davis, too, for that matter. He's a senior. He's a fifth-year guy. He could have left after last year. He didn't want to come back and give it one more year for the Gators. I love that. I want to see him end it with a nice win. 
over FSU in the swamp. I guess like, uh, here we go with the, I guess there's nothing left for me to do, but give a prediction. Um, I, I'm just not seeing it. I think it's going to be bad. I think, I think it's going to be really, really bad. I, I, I do think that, that Greg Knox will at least have the team ready to play. I think that Greg Knox is going to try to put together a game plan, which he has done before. Granted, we're a bowl game, but you know we had a month to prepare for that. But he'll have a full week to, to get this ready, to get his team ready. Um, but the offensive line is just so utterly helpless. And Jermaine Johnson is so, so, so freakishly talented that I'm, I'm not seeing us stopping him. So they, they, FSU has problems. You know, their, their defensive uh, secondary is bad. Their linebackers are iffy, and their offense is very inconsistent. But ultimately, it's a line of scrimmage game, and FSU is just so much better in the trenches than Florida is. So I'm going to say 31-6 FSU. It, it's it's going to be ugly. Dustin? Well, Neil, um, I disagree with you. I think Florida's going to play well. Um, I, I expect Anthony Richardson to play. Um, I don't think there's going to be any excuses. I think that uh, Knox has no reason to continue with the loyalty that came from Dan Mullen. Um, and I, I expect Anthony Richardson to start the game. I expect him to play the entire game and I expect them, I expect him to ball and I expect him to even, uh, I, I know that, that, um, you know, that, that lineman that you mentioned on FSU, I know he's going to present some problems. Um, but I think that the Florida Gators and, uh, Anthony Richardson will, will be able to overcome it. And I also think that the defense is going to be playing inspired. Um, I know that Zach Carter wants to win this game and his leadership is going to, um, his, his leadership is really going to, uh, take effect. Um, as bad as Missouri is on offense, um, I don't think that Florida state is much better offensively. So I fully expect um, Florida's defense to do about what it did uh, this past game against Missouri. The big, the big exception and the big, the big um, X factor in this is the fact that the game is going to be in Gainesville. Um, and as, as of right now, the plan is to go watch the game with you. Uh, Neil, I, I, I'm excited to, to do that. Um, I think that's still the plan, and, and we'll make it happen. It's going to be awesome. We'll have a great time, and, and I, I actually think Florida's going to pull out the victory. Uh, but before I give you my score, um, my player to watch, uh, I know I've, I know I've to no avail, have put out this player as the player to watch, and then he would eventually not even play. Uh, but I'm going to do it again. I'm going to go with Anthony Richardson. Um, he's a player that that uh, I'm more than impressed with. I've already spoken about him ad nauseum, um, and I think he's the X factor. I don't if he, in fact, if he doesn't play. Um, I think it. I think it cuts our percentage chance to win the game by at least fifty percent. Um, with him in the game, I give us about a sixty to seventy percent chance to win. Without him, I put it at twenty to thirty. So, um, or ten to twenty, or however, however that that math works out. Um, anyhow, uh, as far as my uh, my score, um, if Anthony Richardson starts, I'm going to go with a score. Of Florida 27, FSU 20. And 
if Emory Jones starts, I project I project Florida State to win twenty three seventeen. So um, if I have to nail it to one, I'm going to go ahead and go with the twenty seven to twenty Florida um, because I do think that Anthony Richardson is going to start. Um, there's absolutely no reason uh, for any coach in America to continue to start um, Emory Jones after his performance. Um, wasn't terrible, but it definitely didn't do enough to win. Um, unless, that, he's, unless he's not healthy. He should be healthy. Unless, unless he's not healthy. Um, I, have, I have no information to tell me that he, he wouldn't be healthy for the game. Well, we'll see. Um, I, I do think Florida will play hard. I do think the team will, will, will try. I, I don't think we'll see a, a repeat of South Carolina where the team just doesn't care. I, I, I just think the offensive line is so miserable that it's not going to matter. Whether, whether AR-15 plays or not, I mean, the offensive line is getting worse and worse with each passing game. And I, I, think, I think it'll be a close game for a while. I think it'll be like um, maybe 10-3 FSU at halftime, maybe – you know, 13 or maybe like 17, six in the fourth quarter. But at the end of the day, the, the line, Florida's line will break and FSU will put it away with some, uh, some defensive defensive plays that set the offense up to score, or they'll just score themselves like, like they did against Clemson. Um, so yeah, 31, six for me, regardless of who plays. Um, I, yeah, man, this was a, this is the longest pop we've ever done. And, and it, it was not uh, an enjoyable one, but it was one that we had to do because it was, you know, it was a move that Florida had to make. So, uh, I mean, Dustin, I mean, Casey already had to hop off, but I mean, on, on behalf of both of y'all, I think it's very easy to say that, you know, this, this year does, t- does test the, in all kinds of weather mantra. Um, we, yes. we, we, we have kept it respectful throughout. It's never, personal against any of the players it is it is it is personal against grantham but that's the story for another day um aside from grantham it, it's never personal at all um it's it's always just talking football and always just wanting to see the best people do the the best jobs that they can and ultimately it, it did not work out for for mullen and and, it, and it's sad but you know in all kinds of weather we will all stay together for F L O R I D A. I'm flying down next week to see Florida play FSU. Florida's, I mean, this is a terrible year. This this 2021 team will be remembered as as a terrible season. I'm still flying yeah. down there on Thanksgiving weekend from New York City to Gainesville to watch the Florida Gators play because that is what in all kinds of weather means. I am I am frustrated. I am sad that it had to end this way. I will never feel anything other than poison for Todd Grantham, but he is gone now. Um, but despite all those emotions that, that may have built, been built up, I will always support the Florida Gators, regardless of who's in power, regardless of who's in positions to do whatever. I may not like them, and I will point them out, and I will point them out repeatedly if need be, but I will always support the Florida Gators in all kinds of weather. Yeah, Neil. Um, I, uh, I 100% second what you said. Um, and I hope that we can be proven wrong, uh, on Saturday. And I hope that when we come back to the mics that I hope we're discussing and celebrating a big victory over the, the arch rival Florida state 
Um, I don't care how good Georgia is, in my opinion. Florida State will always be uh, the Gators' premier rival, um, especially for for all of my all of my friends that live in the state of Florida and know how how hostile the that rivalry can be and is. Um, we need to beat this team. We need to beat FSU. It felt so great to see Mike White and the basketball team beat Florida State for the first time since uh, 2013, and I know it's going to be just as as great. Um, if not even a better feeling to see the football team if they happen to beat Florida State. Uh, like I said, hopefully we come back on. We'll, we'll um, hopefully I'll I'll be able to bring my uh, my go my classic go Gators, and uh, hopefully we could do a, a better deep dive into some of the coaching candidates, and uh, maybe by this time next week we'll have some inside information on on where the coaching search is. Um, as by that point. Uh, Coaches will officially be done with their season, except for the ones that are playing in a conference championship game. Anyhow, Neil, um, as always, in all kinds of weather, and uh, go Gators. Dustin, we'll be sitting together for FSU. For the first time ever, we're going to watch a game together. We talk about them all the time. We, we text each other during the games, but we're going to be watching this one together for the first time ever. It'll be fun, and it'll be we'll, we'll be able to do um you know internet permitting we'll be able to do a Twitter space from the stands during halftime. Uh, that that'll be interesting, and um there's some other things in the works that that uh, we're not going to divulge quite yet. But um I'm excited. Uh, I wish that I wish that we could be in a different spot, and this this FSU game would have more meaning. Um I guess at this point these both these teams are playing for bowl eligibility and uh, ultimately for the Gators and, and uh, the seniors. Uh, they'll be playing for them. So um, major shout-out to uh, Zach Carter and, and uh, his family and, and uh, very thankful for his time at the University of Florida, and I hope he goes out. Um, but, hey, let, let, uh, as, we, as we bring this pod to a close, let us not forget the Florida State loss to um, Jacksonville State, not Jackson State. I could almost understand a loss to Jackson State with how good they've been this year, but they lost to Jacksonville State. Yeah, Dustin, so, that's not going to be anywhere near as funny when they beat us. So get 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 the get the trolls off now because that that line can lose a lot of its humor after they beat us. Yeah, but, well, I I disagree. I don't think that uh, I don't think Florida State's going to beat us. Um, um, unless unless the line um, is so so bad, man. It's so bad. And they have an actual game record uh, to to take advantage of it, but we'll see. Uh, that's that's our show, y'all. Stay safe and stay healthy, and we will be back fairly soon because we got a coach that's going to be coming in, and we got a game that we're going to have to break down. And hopefully, I am wrong, and we'll have a bowl game to discuss. But until then, y'all stay safe and healthy, and go Gators. Go Gators.